Well, very glad that you are with us today on this wonderful spring morning. Man, can't believe it. It's uh, incredible to be the last week of February, and no, don't get your hopes up because we'll probably have a foot of snow on Easter. Who knows what goes on around here? You guys that live here know how that goes, right? We've been going through the last few weeks on some fundamentals of the faith, and I always want to remind you uh, that this is not the time to turn off if you've been a Christian for a while. Uh, It's not the time to tune out. Uh, because we don't come to church just to learn. Hopefully you'll learn some things when you come to church, but not always. Coming to church is not about just learning new information. It's about being inspired and encouraged and excited about doing the things we already know. And so uh, if you don't hear any new information today, uh, don't turn me off, don't turn me out, tune me out. Uh, but, but listen, and, and here's the other thing, folks. We don't just know these things so that we can know them. We know them so that we can live them out and so that we can share them with others. And so hopefully today uh, you'll be inspired by that. I heard a story this week. Now somebody in the first service, as soon as I said that, they already groaned. So I appreciate you guys in the second service not groaning early. Uh, I heard a story this week about two priests. Uh, They die at the same time and they meet St. Peter at the pearly gates. Now St. Peter says to to them, hey, I'd like to get you guys in now, but our computers are down. This isn't theologically correct. Uh, You'll have to go back to earth for about a week, but you can't go back as humans because I don't want you interacting with people. What will you be? The first priest says, well, I've always wanted to be an eagle and soar through the Rocky Mountains. And so the first priest disappears. Peter says, that's great. Go. So he did it. The second priest thinks about it for a moment. He says, now, will you be keeping track of us during this week? And St. Peter says, well, no, of course not. The computers are down. I told you that. There's no way we can keep track of what you're doing. This week's kind of a freebie. So in that case, the second priest says, I've always wanted to be a stud. So be it, says St. Peter, and the second priest disappears. A week goes by, the computer's fixed, the Lord tells St. Peter to recall the two priests. The Lord says, well, you have trouble locating them. And St. Peter says, well, the first one should be easy. He's somewhere over the Rocky Mountains flying with the eagles. I'll find him easily. But the second one could be a little more difficult. The Lord says, why is that? St. Peter responds, well, because he's somewhere on a snow tire in Alaska. Get somebody to explain that to you over lunch. It'll be really funny, I promise. Uh, You know, we tell those kind of stories all the time. We talk about, you know, we make jokes about, you know, somebody going to the pearly gates and going to heaven or whatever. Uh, And, and of course, we're not making any theological statements there. We're just telling jokes and talking about things. But but listen, uh, when it comes uh, to dying and, and, and facing judgment, folks, that is a serious matter. That is a really, really serious matter. And so today, we're going to be talking about final judgments. And I wish I had some big music out here, but like, you know, bum, 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 you know. Uh, but listen, you guys know that we're not a church that, um, uh, you know, I don't slam my hand on the pulpit and, you know, preach fire and brimstone and, you know, all these bad things all the time. Uh, but listen, we can't avoid talking about these kind of things. We, we just can't. And, and I'll share with you several reasons why. But we can't avoid talking about them. Let me tell you a little story. I don't know if you guys uh, recognize this building, but this is the Kingdom, and uh, uh, it was in Seattle for a couple of decades. On March 26th of the year 2000, uh, the Kingdom, which was home of the Seattle Seahawks, played there, and also the Seattle Mariners, and at times the Supersonics also played there. But on March 26, 2000, this building was completely destroyed. Uh, a Maryland-based uh, demolition team was hired to do the job of imploding the 25,000-ton structure that had marked Seattle's skyline for two dozen years. Remarkable about the event was the extreme measures taken to ensure that no one was hurt. 
Now, this company had experienced over 7,000 demolitions, and they knew what they were doing. The engineers checked and rechecked the structure. The authorities evacuated several blocks around the kingdom. Safety measures were in place to allow the countdown to stop at any time, including up to one second, if there were any safety concerns. All the workers were individually accounted for by radio before the explosives were detonated. And a large public address system was used outside the stadium to announce the final countdown, and it was actually destroyed when the building was destroyed. In short, this company took every possible reasonable measure and more to warn people of the impending danger. Now, we look at that company and we think, wow, what responsible people. What responsible? I mean, they did everything humanly possible to make sure nobody was injured in destroying this huge building right downtown. And by the way, not a single person got a scratch. Not a single person got a cut. Not a single person was injured in any way. The explosion went as planned, and the building came down to rubble without a single injury. Now, why is it that we look at that company and we say, wow, what really good, responsible people they are? Uh, what really great, uh, uh, responsible company would make sure that, go to all those extreme measures to make sure that nobody gets hurt? And yet we want to avoid the conversation about final judgment. I mean, if we really believe that heaven and hell exist, why in the world would we avoid talking about it or feel uncomfortable about it? Shouldn't we want to talk about it? I mean, if we're a responsible church, shouldn't we occasionally talk about these kind of things? Well, of course, the answer is yes. And so today we're going to talk about these kind of things. All right? So stick with me. And I, I hope this will be beneficial to you. We're going to talk about these things in our community groups this week. By the way, if you're not in a community group yet, you can join those anytime and uh, build some relationships with people and talk about the sermon and kind of talk about the application of it all. But let's start with this. There will be a day of final judgment. There will be a day of final judgment. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9. And just as it is appointed for man to die once... And after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, unfortunately, it's my burden to share with you uh, today a uh, kind of a downer, a really serious uh, doctor report, and that is that everybody in this room is terminal. That's right. Everybody in this room is going to die sometime. Now, unless Jesus comes back before, all of us are going to get older, we're going to get feeble, or more feeble in my case, and at some point, and at some point we will pass away. Folks, there's no avoiding that. There's just no avoiding that. Unless Jesus returns, we cannot get out of that. And the Bible is very clear that it is appointed to man to die, and after that comes judgment. Why would we want to avoid that? Wouldn't we want to know what that's all about? I think so. I think so. And so let's talk about the two judgments that will take place. When we finish our lives, when the end of time comes, we will face two judgments. The first is the great white throne will divide believers 
and unbelievers. The great white throne judgment. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man, Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Folks, these aren't my words. This isn't my story. These are the words of God to us, telling us, folks, there's going to come a time when Jesus, who has been given all authority to judge, will sit on a glorious throne, and he will begin, after he looks out at every soul that has ever walked the face of the earth, he will begin to separate them like sheep from goats. If I were to uh, maybe divide this audience, not tell you what I was doing, but, but move all the ladies to this side and all the men over to this side, I would stand here and say, okay, you go over here. You, you go over here. You, and we could separate this crowd into two groups. That's how Jesus is going to do it. He's going to separate them into two groups. And then he's going to turn to those on his left. He's going to say, depart from me. Folks, I know there have been some very painful words that some of us have heard in our lives. There is nothing, nothing worse than that. And then he's going to turn to those on his right. And he's going to say, you know, come, be in my presence. Spend eternity with me. There's going to be no greater words than that. But there will come a time when we will face this. And he will divide every human soul that has ever walked the face of the earth he will divide that crowd into two groups. There's no avoiding it. And the reason it's called the great white throne judgment is because of what it says in Revelation chapter 20. This is John speaking. He says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Pay close attention. This is the second death the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, one of the common questions for a pastor is, do you think all the things that the Bible says about hell are literal? Are they really that bad? Well, let me put it this way. I know they're at least that bad. I have a suspicion, and this is just me talking here, I have a suspicion that hell is a lot worse than burning fire, 
with sulfur and people screaming and gnashing their teeth. I have a a suspicion that it's a whole lot worse. In fact, I have a suspicion that it's so bad, there are no words to describe what it's really like. Those are the best words that we can, as humans, understand. I think heaven may not have actual uh, uh, pearly gates, may not have actual streets that are 14 karat gold, but it's at least that good. I have a suspicion that it's a whole lot better than that, but we can't even understand words that would explain how good it is. But here's the part about hell that's the worst, folks. As if God has created some kind of vacuum where he has withdrawn his presence, this is a place where people will go to spend eternity forever separated from God. Fire is going to be the least of your problems. I mean, people yelling is going to be the least of the problems there. Having no connection or presence to God is just unfathomable. We've never experienced anything like that on this earth. But folks, then to be in the presence of the Lord forever is going to be incredible. We've never experienced anything even remotely that good in this lifetime. But there will come a day of final judgment, and the great white throne judgment is where it will take place. We need to understand this, and, and we need to think about this. You know, I'm really convinced that, that part of the reason uh, most of us don't share the gospel with our friends and neighbors and loved ones because we don't really believe this. I don't think we really believe that there is a place where those who have rejected Jesus will go and spend an eternity separated from God. Listen, if you saw somebody standing, if you saw a little kid standing down by that stadium and you saw the countdown, 20, 19, 18, 17, man, I mean, I just, I just trust that all of you are such good people. You would run down there and scream at that kid, hey, get out of there, that thing's going to blow. Hurry, get away, get away. You'd be going nuts trying to get that kid away from that building, wouldn't you? Why is it, just a thought, why is it that we aren't that concerned about our friends and our loved ones who don't know Christ. I think it's because we don't believe this. Not really. We believe it up here, but I don't think we've really internalized it. I don't think we've really got it. And the fact is, folks, when we see in this passage these books that are open, these are the books with all of our works in them. Everything we've ever done. And the reality is, I'm I'm sure it's going to be a stack of books, just, you know, humongous stack, and they're going to be opened. And every single thing that we have ever done is going to be in those books. And folks, there's a lot of sin in those books. There's a lot of sin under my name and under your name. And the reality is that unless our name is written in this one book over here, the book of life, these books take precedence. These books are all about our sinfulness. And by the way, it doesn't matter how much good stuff you add to that book, those sins are still in there. We, we, can't, we can't mitigate them. We can't get rid of them. We can't do anything ourselves to take them away. And that's why God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for those sins, to give us the opportunity to have our names written in this one book, the book of life. And it's my simple faith, trusting that God has sent his son Jesus to take away our sins, putting our faith and trust in him and repenting from our sins. 
we can accept him and get our names written in that book of life. And that's a game changer, folks. That's a game changer. That makes the difference in whether we spend an eternity separated from God in hell or eternity with God in his presence in heaven. By the way, when Jesus begins to separate the sheep from the goats, there's going to be a lot of us that go, what? He's over there? And we're going to do it about both directions. What? He's over here? That guy's over here? After all he did? Wait a minute, that guy's a good guy. Why? Whoa, Jesus, why are you putting him over there? I know that guy. He's a good guy. Folks, we're going to be thinking like we do here that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. But the Bible doesn't teach that. Okay? The Bible teaches that those who put their faith and trust in Jesus and him alone will be saved, no matter how bad they have been. Yes, I know in our human thinking of fairness, it doesn't make sense that a man can uh, be a pedophile and, and, and do terrible, awful things and then in prison come to know Jesus as his Savior, really and truly give his life to him and then be saved. I, I know we don't, we don't think that way, but that's the Bible way. And I know there's some people that are really good and they do nice things and they're, they're nice people on the outside, but they've rejected Jesus. They either think they're good enough that they don't need him, or they think there's other ways. And so they've rejected him, and they're going to be shuffled off over with the goats. Folks, this final day of judgment is coming, and the great white throne judgment is something that needs our attention, that needs us to pay attention to now, because it will have eternal consequences for every human being. But this is not the only judgment. Believers will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, one of the common questions is, which one of these comes first? We don't know. The Bible's not specific in saying one comes before the other, one comes after the other. They may be kind of at the same time. We just don't know, okay? But it's clear that the Bible teaches there are these two separate judgments. Believers will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It says, for we must all appear... But before we start that, I want you to pay attention, because it can be confusing. As soon as you see, for we must all... It's not talking about all humans. Look what it says right there, 2 Corinthians 5.10. This is written to the church at Corinth. This is written to believers, not unbelievers. Context, context, context. It's critical. Or you'll completely get confused about this passage. Okay, so it's written to a church, to believers in a church. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil, is the same word for our physical body as it is used for the body of Christ. So we as Christians will be judged. We will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and we will be judged for what we do. But look at this passage. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So let me give you, a, let me just share with you the picture of what it is here. There is a foundation that for those of us who have already given our lives to Christ, we have already stepped over the line of faith and given our lives to him. There is a foundation laid in our life, which is Jesus Christ, the only true foundation. On that foundation, we are building on it. Every day we are doing things to build on it. I always think about the three little pigs when I read this uh, uh, passage <laughs> because we build on it with gold and with silver and with precious gems and with hay and with sticks. Now, why is it saying that? Because, listen, there are things that we do out of a pure motive because we just, I mean, I just love God. I want to do this. I want to, I want to minister to this person because I love them and I love God. And I do, man, that's a, that is gold. I'm doing that out of gold. But we do some things sometimes that are kind of self-serving, don't we? We do some things sometimes that maybe they don't have quite the right motive or maybe they're not even quite the right thing. And we're, we're building on our lives with sticks and with hay. And then the picture is that this, this foundation is going to be picked up over here and it's going to be set on this giant pizza oven. Well, kind of a pizza oven. Okay? And it's going to go through the pizza oven. And it's going to go through fire. And what's going to come out? Listen, all the hay and the wood is going to be burned away. All the stuff that we have done out of a selfish and conceited life, that stuff's going to be gone. We're going to suffer loss for that. It's just going to be gone. But the things that we have done for Christ, the things that we have done for his kingdom, the things that we have done unselfishly for others that have been built on this foundation out of gold and out of silver and out of precious gems, those things are going to come through the fire, and they're still going to be there. And then the Bible says we're going to be rewarded for what's left. We're going to be rewarded for what's left. Folks, this should, this should rock our worlds a little bit. I mean, this should help us to understand, listen, I can't spend my time doing selfish, self-centered things. I can't spend my time doing sinful things. I've got to spend my time doing good things. I've got to build on this foundation with good stuff that's going to go through the fire and be on the other side. Because that's what the Bible says is going to happen. And, of course, only believers are going to be going through this because the unbelievers at the great white throne judgment will have their judgment. Now, the interesting thing about this passage, it also says that we won't receive any penalties or judgment. We just receive loss. Did you catch that? Because those things that we do that get burned up, we aren't going to be punished for them. We're simply going, they're just going to be gone. They're going to be lost. Time and effort and energy wasted. But the things we do for Christ in his kingdom will go on. Now, what are these rewards? What are these rewards? Well, I want to talk to you about a few of them right here. Okay? The Bible specifically talks about five crowns that can be awarded to believers. Now, as soon as I hear that word crowns, I immediately think of a very kingly crown, a big gold crown with gems on it and, you know, cool kingly stuff. But that's not what this is talking about. Uh, the kind of crown that's being spoken of here is a crown like this. Okay? In the day that this was being written, uh, as, as athletes would compete together, the winner would not receive anything of really any value. And of course, most of the time, it wasn't even spray-painted gold. Uh, it was just a, you know, a wreath made out of leaves and then placed on the winner's head. 
Now, why, why do they just, I mean, what's the point? You can't go down to the bank and cash a, you know, a wreath of leaves. What's the point? The point is that, that this person who has, has struggled and, and really uh, uh, just gone out of their way to learn to do what's necessary to win the race is given a reward. And, and there's a certain level of, of pride in that. Not, 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 not selfish pride, but, but, but just a sense of accomplishment. A sense of, think about what the person who's putting it on their head, they're saying, look, you're the winner. I, I'm declaring you win. If these are literal crowns like this in heaven. In fact, we'll talk about the second one we know, was, uh, or the third one that's not even like that at all. But there's, a, there's some kind of reward system uh, during our final judgment that God is going to use, that he's going to give Jesus the authority to do, and we are going to get some kind of reward where it's clear that we are being rewarded. What exactly that's going to be like, can't tell you. But let's talk about what we can know for sure, and that's this. The first crown is called the imperishable crown. The imperishable crown. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable, an imperishable wreath. How do you win this award? How do you win this crown? You run your race. You fulfill what God has called you to do. You be who God has called you to be. Now listen, there are some parts of our lives that are, 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 are completely the same. God wants all of us to come to salvation through Jesus Christ, okay? God wants all of us to be baptized by immersion. God wants all of us to be a part of a Bible-believing, God-fearing church. God, I mean, there's a lot of things that God wants the same for all of us. But there's a lot of things that God wants very specifically. In fact, this summer we're going to talk through a series uh, about how God has created us with our personality, our spiritual gifts, our talents and abilities, our heart, to do something special. You see, see, on those parts of God's will, I can't do what you've been called to do, and you can't do what I've been called to do. God has some things for you specifically to do that he wants you to do, and only you can do them. And he wants you to run that race as though you were an Olympian. The problem for us is that we let a lot of things get in the way. We begin to run the wrong direction. We begin to get distracted. We begin to get lazy. We don't run the race really as hard as we can. And if we want to get this imperishable crown, folks, we have to run the race that God has set before us, and we've got to run it as though our very life depended on it. Because in essence, our rewards do. So this is the imperishable crown. The second is called the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. It says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Hmm. This is the crown of rejoicing. In fact, uh, in that passage, uh, some uh, English translations will say, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing there? 
So what are we rejoicing about? So is this a crown that is given to the people that sing loudest in church, rejoice the most? No, no. This is a crown given to those who are witnessing with the gospel, who are sharing the gospel with others. Who, what, is, what is the joy in crown here? What is it? Is it not you? And Paul's speaking here to the people in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. <laughs> One of those Thess towns. He's saying, look, guys, this crown, this crown that I'm getting is you. Again, these are not literal crowns. He's saying, listen, I'm going to, I don't know how it's going to happen, folks, but in some way, God is going to reward us for the people that we have led to Christ. He's going to reward us for the people that we have witnessed to, for the people that we have discipled, for the way that we have personally gotten involved in the Great Commission and done our part. Some theologians think that this is going to be like the last scene of the movie Rudy. He gets beat up at Notre Dame all the time, you know, he's just getting pummeled in practice. But he gives his whole heart the whole time. And at the very end of the show, uh, well, I don't care if it's a spoiler, the movie is 15 years old, so uh, too bad if it's a spoiler. But at the end of the show, he gets put in for one play, actually two plays. He would have never had his name on the roster at Notre Dame if you don't get to actually be on the field for a play. So they put him in for one play. And this guy is carried off the field. In fact, he's the last guy to get carried off the field at Notre Dame. Nobody's been carried off the field since. And this is probably, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago. So there's this picture that some theologians think that what's going to happen is, basically, uh, God's going to gather around all of the people that we have have personally led to Christ. And they're going to hoist us on their shoulders. And they're going to say, hip, hip, hooray! Hip, hip, hooray! The crown and joy is the people that we have invested our lives in. Now the question is, will will there be enough people there to lift us up? Or will we have to give one person a high five? What will it be like? Folks, this is clearly a a crown uh, that is about sharing the gospel with others. And if we believe the final judgments of heaven and hell, why in the world wouldn't we share the gospel with others? Why wouldn't we? I don't know how God's going to do it, folks, but the people that you invest in will have not forgotten. They will not have forgotten. I started in the ministry in 1980. I was ordained in 1983. It's been a long time. I've ministered to people, and, and I know some of you don't know this, but I used to travel. I had my own band and traveled, did contemporary Christian music all over the country. There's people that I have ministered to that I never really knew their names. We get invitations at our concerts, probably led many people to Christ at youth camps and colleges and all these places that I don't have any idea even who they are. And somehow, some way, God's going to bring all those people together. And we're going to be rewarded for the people that we've invested in. Folks, I just want to encourage you. Don't stand there high-fiving one guy or one gal. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. It's more important than anything else in your life. Let's continue on. Next, we see the crown of life. The crown of life we see in James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. 
This is a special crown for people that endure hard times and tests, spiritual tests and tribulations. God says, listen, I've got a special award for these people. In fact, this is also called the martyr's crown because of what it says in Revelation 2. It says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. What God's saying here is, listen, you're going to go through some really tough stuff. This world is messed up. And you're going to go through some really difficult times. But if you will stay faithful, if you will come through it, if you will remain loving me and worshiping me and caring for me, you will get the crown of life. And by the way, even be faithful unto death. If it kills you, and it may. If it kills you, be faithful, and I'll give you the crown of life. That's why it's also referred to as the martyr's crown. So those who endure tribulation, testing trials, and by the way, I don't have any idea, the Bible isn't specific on how difficult those things have to be or what they are specifically. But it should be encourage all of us that no matter what we face, we stay faithful. No matter what we face, we stay faithful. The next crown is the crown of righteousness. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now this is a little confusing at first, because it says that it's a crown of righteousness, the crown of righteousness, living righteous lives. Then it says it will be awarded to those who love his appearing. They seem to be in contradiction to one another, don't they? But if you think it through, they're really not. I shared a couple of weeks ago, kind of as a joke, and I've been thinking about it since, and it was really no joke. Uh, my parents used to always tell me when I was uh, uh, 15, 16, 17, 18, and that kind of age range, they used to tell me before I would go out on a Friday or Saturday night, be careful, Jesus might come back while you're out tonight. Oh, man. I mean, I changed my... I changed my plan several times because of that statement, i got to tell you. Uh, listen, if we believed that Jesus could really come back, well, let me ask you this. This afternoon, would you do anything different? Would you maybe not do some things <laughs> at 2 o'clock this afternoon that you might do? Listen, if we knew that was happening, we would all be behaving differently. We would all be thinking differently. We would be making sure that we were doing righteous things, right? And so the connection here is this, folks. If we really believe Jesus is coming back, by the way, every single prophecy in the Old and New Testaments has been fulfilled. He can come anytime. He has got the green light. Uh, uh, if you're a golfer, he, you know, the backswing is finished. He can pull the trigger whenever God wants him to do it. Okay? It's all set up. There's nothing else that needs to take place. And so, here we see, if you really believe that he's coming back, it'll change the way you think. It will change the way you behave. It will change the way you interact with others. It will change your priorities during the day. It'll change everything. It'll change everything about our lives. And so, see, the one who looks for his coming, the one who is, is, is all about looking and watching for Jesus, they're going to be doing righteous things. 
And so this crown of righteousness is about having righteous behavior because our perspective about Jesus returning is correct. That's how the two kind of come together. The last crown is this one, the crown of glory, the crown of glory. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders or pastors among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This uh, crown is specifically reserved for pastors who will lead and feed their congregations righteously. Big responsibility. Big responsibility. To lead a congregation, to feed a congregation, to do it always with the right heart. It's a big responsibility. And for those who are faithful, they will receive a crown of glory. Now, what are we going to do with these crowns? Are we going to strut around heaven and say, I got three, you got two. <laughs> Look at me. I don't think that's how it goes. We don't really know if these are, you know, like I said before, literal crowns. We don't know if they're going to be some way that people will know. We don't know any of that kind of stuff. But what we do have is a little bit of information about what the elders do with their crowns. What we have is, is those who have uh, received this particular crown because they are faithful and good elders. They're sitting around the, the throne of Jesus. Let's look and see what they do with their crowns. Because I have a feeling we'll probably do the same with ours. It says, The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We see the elders, these 24 elders in heaven, taking their crowns off in whatever manner or form they do it, and they throw them at his feet and they say, Look, we are not worthy of anything. You are worthy of all the glory, of all the power, of all the attention, of all the fame. You get it all. We get nothing except that we get to be saved. But you get everything else. I have a feeling that we may do something very similar. So we see today there are final judgments that are going to take place. There's the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. I hope that all of you will experience the judgment seat of Christ. But if you're here today and you haven't crossed over the line of faith, if you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, folks, do it today. I implore you. I beg you for your sake. I am running to the stadium to tell you it is about to come down. And I am begging you to run away from it. Give your life to Jesus. He will change everything. By just simple faith, accept what he has done for you on the cross by paying for your sins, repent from your sins, and give your life to him. We can help you do that here. So there's no reason for you to leave here today uh, with that not done. But for the rest of us, folks, we are going to stand there. 
And that foundation in our lives is going to go through that massive pizza oven. And it is going to come out on the other side. What's going to be left? What's going to be left? If we have been living our lives up to this point for uh, the things that are made out of hay or wood or paper or whatever, let's not do that anymore. Let's live for the things and do the things that are made out of gold and silver and precious gems and things that will matter for all of eternity. You've received, we have received our warning. The building is coming down, folks. It is coming down. We need to think about that, not only for ourselves, but for those around us, our loved ones, our friends, our family, those we work with. As I prepared for this sermon this morning, I began to think about the people that I have witnessed to in my life, some of them over and over and over again, who have passed away now, having rejected Christ, having never given their lives to him. One in a shooting, one in a car accident, one in a boat accident, some from old age. Folks, there's no hope for them. There's no second chances. There's no do-overs. There's no mulligans. It's over for them. We need to think about this and take this really seriously because I think if we really believe the building's coming down, it will change our perspective of ourselves and of the world around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that adequately warns us about the final judgments that are coming. God, it makes me more grateful than ever that you have sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. Father, thank you that those of us who have given our lives to you will not find fairness with you. We will find mercy and grace. Way better than fairness. Father, for those who are around us who don't know you, I pray that you would sear these passages into our brains Help us to think about them. Help, us to, help, it to, help them to motivate us, to, to inspire us, to talk to them about their lives, to talk to them about the impending doom that is coming. Help us to have courage and boldness to run towards the stadium as we see the countdown getting closer. Father, I love you. I thank you for the way that you love us. Help us to be changed by this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.